HR professionals, safeguard your business from compliance risks. AIMHR Solutions offers crucial compliance audit services tailored to your needs. Led by expert consultants, our audits ensure full compliance with federal and state laws and regulations. We provide a roadmap for your business's future with detailed reports pinpointing strengths and areas for improvement. Save time, money, and mitigate risk with our expertise. Constantly evolving laws and limited HR staff can leave you vulnerable to fines and lawsuits. Protect your business. Schedule your audit now at aimhrsolutions.com. Welcome to Human Solutions, simplifying HR for people who love HR from AIM HR Solutions on True Story FM. I'm Pete Wright, and this week we're talking all about paperwork. No, wait, hear me out. I know, I know, this is not one of the most exciting topics, but it is a critical part of the HR job. Legally, there are requirements that employers must keep accurate, up-to-date, and secure records, but who's keeping these records, who's responsible, and can you find all the records and reports that you need when you need them? It's complicated, and there's a lot to track, but there are benefits beyond legal requirements. Having organized documents can make it easier for you to do your job as an HR professional, and our HR and legal experts are here to guide you through this daunting task. The dynamic duo of digital records, Tom Jones and Kyle Pardo, are back, and they are going to do what many have thought impossible. Make paperwork pop. Tom Jones, Kyle Pardo, welcome back to Human Solutions. It's great to have you both here. Uh, we're, I, I, I feel like I should just ask the question outright. Is it? Oh, what's that? Excuse me. I'm just shredding some important digital records. Am I doing the wrong thing today like any typical lawyer answer is going to be it depends right tom you you picked up exactly what i was putting down so help me get my filing cabinet in order uh what is the at a very high level the purpose of record keeping from an hr there's at least a couple that come immediately to mind one is to demonstrate that you've had that employee sign that particular record or document or whatever it is that was a compliance related request from the federal government or the state government could be tax related could be um you know immigration related could be discipline related any and all a number of those things but also you want to be able to show that you've retained those records over the necessary period of time after the employee leaves because so when employees separates from employment, employers have to hold on to a great deal of information about that person for a number of years to prove if in case litigation ever happened in the future, what they did was correct when they at the time that they were supposed to do it. Well, one of the things that we talked about, Tom, before uh, in a, a prior episode was on leaves. We were talking about handling leaves. And if I recall, there are some complicated and overlapping uh, bits of legislation that we have to consider around uh, leaves, whether state versus federal. The same thing under consideration here for, for record retention and, and record keeping and record maintenance. Do we have state and federal things to think about? There are state and federal laws. They aren't necessarily overlapping so much as they're different. I'll give you an example. The federal law controls immigration. So anytime you hire somebody, you have to have an I-9 form for that person. And you have to retain that either one year from the date of termination or three years from the date of hire, whichever is later. 
State law may require that a personnel record file be retained for up to three years. So employers have to hold on to that no matter what. It may contain information about people's personnel file, performance, um, job application, resume, all these different things. So generally state and federal law don't overlap so much in terms of the content, but rather they put different um, criteria that what has to be applied to federal or state law. I mean, I always find it so confusing in the sense that you're looking at state law, you're looking at federal law, you're looking at OSHA, immigration, so many different groups of, uh, you know, requirements to follow. And, um, you know, people want to get rid of things when they can. They want to purge those documents, clean out their files, and that's when it gets risky. And so I think always erring on the side of caution and keeping them, you know, thinking about the 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 one that requires you to keep the longest is probably the best way to go. You know, for example, there's wage records. Both federal and state law have wage record because you want to be able to look back an employee employee who went to sue the employer for non-payment of wages or something has the right to look back at those records for either four years or three years. Generally, three years under the federal law, four years under the state law. So you have to hold those records. Like, you know, Kyle's alluding to probably a good practice would be to hold the records for five years just to say, well, we've got this information just in case something comes up. But then the other issue that arises is what's the proper way to destroy records? You know, is it just shredding that you're you, you doing earlier? The answer is... Feels, feels like I'm doing fine, right? Tell me I'm doing fine. Well, you might be. The question is going to be, should you have held on to that information? Is it still within one of those time frames that yeah. the law requires you to hold on to it? If it's not, if it's you're beyond the time frames, the employee no longer works for you, there's no risk of litigation with any um, statute of limitation issues, you're probably fine. But I'd want to do that, frankly, with a professional service and have someone come in and destroy those records rather than you just randomly doing it yourself. Or you'd have to be able to document okay. that you did it yourself in such a way to show that if the questions arose, you'd be able to say, this was our normal course of action. After five years, we destroy all records associated with an employee. And Pete, I think this area has gotten a lot more fuzzy, too, with people working remotely. Uh, you know, it, it was forced upon a lot of people that they, they went remote a couple of years ago and maybe didn't have a record retention process set up for that type of environment. And so now you have managers or HR people potentially working from home, printing off documents off their home printers, uh, having some kind of makeshift retention system or filing system at home that doesn't quite make its way into the official employee file. So um, that might be the first place that I suggest people or you know, HR professionals look as they are, you know, if they're trying to refine their record keeping processes or, you know, who has records, where are they kept, are they kept in a central place? And um, if you've moved to a digital record keeping process, um, you know, what are you doing with those old records that you might have printed out and had sitting on your home home desk. Well, that that gets to sort of, I think, the, the question of transition of those organizations who have not made the, the leap to digital or are in the process of making the leap to digital. What are some considerations to keep in mind about handling those transitions? Do you keep the original scanned or, or ingested documents for a certain period of time? Is there is there an overlapping period required there? Uh, and how do you uh, do you feel like you have more or less control over your record keeping process once you've gone digital than before? I think one of the things we see a lot of in the uh, 
here at AIM has to do with, uh, on the round, I'm sorry, on the hotline, has to do with people who in the world of HR like to do both the electronic version and have a hard copy. They tend to be real pack rats and hold on to things as long as possible, and they don't want to give up control of that information for fear exactly what you're alluding to, Pete, that somehow something might have gotten misplaced or lost in the computer system. So they're very fearful of giving up control of that hard document. But I think once it's in a system, it's secure that, you know, you've got the equivalent of sort of a locked drawer in a locked office on your computer system and all the information's there. That's fine. And Tom, do you think it's, it's typically okay as long as you can reproduce the document if there's an audit, right? So if there's an I-9 audit or if there's a, um, some wage and hour audit, if you could reproduce or, or print out the scanned document, then most instances sure. that's okay? In fact, the I-9 people make it clear on their website that you can um, store these documents electronically. The one quirky thing, though, is you still have to print it out for the employee to sign. And then you'd have to scan it back in. That is an interesting loop, uh, a digital uh, analog loop. But you can definitely do it. The personnel files, you can save them online. You can um, wage records, employment applications, all those necessary information you can save online. That, that I-9 um, issue you just pointed out, though, that that's pretty important because if you print it out to have somebody sign it and then you scan it back into your computer, you are you are left with a paper document right. that has a social security number on it and has other personal identifying information. So it's really important to have a, a process in place to get rid of that. That would not be in the, like, I have to keep this printed out page for five years kind of a, a trap. You could have them sign it, scan it, and immediately put that in the queue for destruction. Yeah. The paper document. But I think yeah. you'd want to be able to document what your destruction document destruction yeah. process is. So if, like once a month you invite in some some outside vendor that provides that or you have those locked barrels that companies have in their um workplace where you can put documents in it and it's out to a service every month or every 3 months or whatever it might be. And you've got the practice of doing that, then I think you're in solid ground. But Kyle's right, that's a huge okay. risk if information like that floats around an office and someone sees it, that's the risk of stealing someone's identity pretty easily. The other important piece to that, too, is an employee can ask to see their personnel file. And so, again, you know, with the paper version, typically what would happen is the employee would ask to see it. They'd they'd be brought into a room in the office and they could look through it and, um, and you know, take take a look at anything that's in there. So if everything is digital, Again, there needs to be a process of how would you share that information with an employee if they said they wanted to take a look at their performance evaluations or their anything that's, you know, write-ups about them. So um, having that process documented as well is important. I'm curious about the uh, the other side of this. Companies that are uh, particularly conservative about keeping records for too long, right? There, it. it Sounds to me like there is a push-pull on we need to keep things long enough to satisfy the requirements, but we definitely don't want to keep things around too too long. Are there risks with keeping records too long that, that we should air here? Well, legally, um, that's sort of an uncharted waters as to what that means litigation-wise, but it does raise the question. So let's go back to Kyle's point about an I-9 audit. Some of the I, the immigration services, you can get rid of them at a certain point. Let's say you keep them for 10 years and not three years. You keep them much, much too long. 
an auditor comes in and looks at them and finds all these defective I-9s from years ago, you shouldn't have kept them. Maybe it opens you up to further scrutiny by the Department of um, Immigration Services for failure to get rid of documents in a timely fashion, keeping incorrect documents. So it could it could create legal problems for you. It's not always clear how aggressively the government will use that information, but it's why have the hassle? They might end up digging deeper into your all your files that they have access to. Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's interesting because um, although there are times to let them go, there have been cases that have called upon the need to have records going far back. Um, there was a, a case called the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act that went back. Tom, how many years did that go back in, in terms of looking at payroll records? It was like 19, 20 years, yep. I think. It was yep. it was quite a few years that a company had to go back and produce records. And um, so there really is that that balance. If you don't have anything to prove otherwise, the, you know, the, the courts may, you know, go with whatever they, they have access to. The other thing we see every so often on the hotline is someone will say, we get contacted by some attorney about a personnel file. And I'll say, well, do you still have it? And he says, well, yeah, we do. <laughs> and of course, it's 20 years old, and but they don't throw things away. And so, I mean, it just creates more of a hassle because the attorney, who knows why they're looking for it, but a, a better practice would be able to say, we get rid of these things every four years or five years, whatever it might be. And so according to our practice and policy, we don't have that information. Otherwise, you end up having to go to your outside legal counsel to determine what's the proper response. Do you give that information over? Do you sort of deny it exists? How do you handle that? One thing we've noticed, though, we do HR audits and going through employee files. There are some companies that put everything in the employee file more than they should, um, where it might be a supervisor's notes on a meeting um, that may include information that could be used against them. It could be something discriminatory or it could be something that would be better off if those notes were not kept in the employee file. But once it's in the file um, and the employee asks for a copy of their file or it, it's discoverable, um, it could create more of a problem in those situations. Which goes right to the issue of having some sort of standardized practice about what should go in the file and when. You know, and there's a state law in Massachusetts that says what should be in that file. And only those things should be in that file. So, for example, what religion someone is has no reason to be in that file. Where political orientation, what you know, kind of what non-work-related information you might have on that person shouldn't be in that file at all. Because it doesn't yield anything and it raises the question about discrimination and their intent. Our recommendation typically is to have three files. So the first one is personnel information, things like the employee's resume, um, maybe their offer letter, but certainly performance reviews, any type of uh, performance documentation. Think about it as a way as if a supervisor wanted to see an employee's file, this is what the supervisor would have access to, things that are job related. Um, the second uh, file would be things with confidential payroll information. So they might have social security numbers. It might be a tax document. Um, it might be a wage garnishment. So these would be not items that would be shared with a supervisor. Um, and then the third one might be benefits-related information. So enrollment forms, beneficiary forms, um, retirement information. Um, so again, and in, in that would be in case there was an audit. If, for example, you're auditing your your benefits enrollments, you would just pull that, that one file. So they can all be kept in the same place, in the same file drawer, maybe just one file after another. Um, 
And I guess there's a fourth place, and that's the I-9s. We recommend keeping the I-9s separate. So those would be kept in a separate binder for active employees and then the terminated employees in a, in a different uh, different location. Again, it, because if there's an event of an I-9 audit, you would have those already separated and not mixed in with the employee files. Uh, Tom brought up something earlier uh, about the uh, supervisor notes that sometimes get put into an employee file. If not in the employee file, where are those notes? What Under what classification are those notes? Where do they exist? Because are, are, you know, could those be, especially if they're digital, could those be accessed or considered a part of some other document request? When the litigation comes in, the request comes in, the answer is yes. Those notes are going to be um, reachable for purposes of discovery. Because the employee who's going to file the litigation is going to say, well, my yes, my day-to-day supervisor kept records and they were on his or her computer, they were on his or her desk drawer. But, it, you know, for example, it takes five points to get a, a demerit for being late for work. The supervisor keeps those five points and then says after the fifth one, okay, you're late for work, we're now going to put this into the file as part of a process. But, you know, statements one, two, three, aren't necessarily going to be included in the file, but they might be for purposes of, of discovery for litigation. A second point would be that the employee, the supervisor may make notes to him or herself about this person's performance to only to speak to them later in the year about it when it comes to performance evaluation time. So does, do those things exist? Yes, they may not be in the file yet, but if and when litigation were to occur, they would become part of that um, content, that whole pile of information the employee would want to see as part of the litigation effort. And different states may have different requirements, but in Massachusetts, if you put anything in an employee's file that could adversely impact a future employment decision, you have to let the employee know in writing that that's going into their file. So typically companies do that just by having it pre-printed on a, on a documentation form. It, you know, this will be going into your personnel file and that's their, their notification. But it is important if you're in different states to make sure you know if there's a, other record-keeping requirements like that. Um, we may have covered this in, a, in an earlier question, but I'll ask it because it's here and I have a related question. If let's say you're a company that is making the move to electronic document uh, record keeping, uh, what is your best advice, sort of best in class organizations making this transfer to electronic? How are they doing it? What is their uh, what is the process to transfer over, make these records available and ensure you you don't leave any loose ends behind you? I, I think it's a big process. To be honest, it, it, once it's done, I think companies will, it'll be great. They'll have access to it. But um, think about if you were taking your entire filing cabinet, depending, you know, it might be of 100 employees and you were trying to digitize all of that. It, you know, it's, it's going to be a lengthy process of uh, scanning everything in, making sure it gets identified or coded to the right employee and to the right place in your, your HR information system, um, making sure that it, um, you know, as we talked about, the the documents, original documents get destroyed properly. Um, so many payroll systems or HR information systems have the ability to do this. And um, again, if you're coding it, you would say that it's a performance document or it's a benefits enrollment form or it's an I-9 form. And so there's ways to make sure then that it um, uh, gets retained for the proper amount of time. Um, but kind of the simple answer to your question is make sure you have a lot of, lot of time set aside for this process. It's not an easy one. 
Well, that actually begs a question, too, though, which is, should you be trying to do this yourself or is this an outsourceable kind of a a situation? You you mean bringing a third party in to do it? Yeah, bring in a third party to do the conversion. I I think you could do that. You'd want to do it under a contractual basis, I think, where you're going to make sure that you're protecting the information. Same thing as anybody else, you know, data security issues and that they give you back all the information. They don't destroy it but they give it back to you for you to make a determination about how you'll destroy it per your policy. But you, theoretically, I'm sure companies do that. They'll come in and, and um, digitize all your information. I'd want to yeah. do it with a contract. I, I asked the question, I, I, think that's a, I, I think that's an important uh, bit of guidance because I, you know, I asked the question because I can imagine, you know, in our, in our fictitious uh, manufacturing firm with a, a single HR manager and lots of employees and uh, trying to manage a lot of, a lot of balls in the air. I can imagine, hey, here's a scanner. Let's go ahead and digitize all of our records and go figure out how to do that. And I'm sure that has happened. I am sure that has happened. And I am also sure that 15 things you've said in our conversation today uh, would be news mm-hmm. to that HR person. The things get things get lost in that process. Right? So Simple, you know, because yeah. especially you put the HR person under the gun. They've got six other duties they're doing. And then you say to them, well, by July 1st, you must have this done because we're going to merge with another company or we're going we're gonna to do something. And of course, now people get, people make mistakes. They're under pressure. They forget something. They miss a document. They scan some documents twice, forget to scan others right. at all. Piles get confused. Yeah, okay. so. And I think also deciding who's going to have access. You know, who are the people that can add things to a file? Is that one central HR person or are you going to allow supervisors to scan things and add them to a file? Um, and then who's who has access to look at information that's in those digital files? So I, I think that's a, a decision before getting started. You you mentioned HR uh, HR information systems. Do you have uh, uh, recommendations of particular systems that you like and trust? Does AIM uh, have a particular framework that that you uh, appreciate and trust? We don't, and a lot of people ask us for that. Um, I think most often you want first of all want to make sure it's something that ties into your payroll system because that would be you know the easiest way to do it. And so very often um, payroll systems will have that as a as an add-on component, but there's not a specific one I can recommend. But a lot of it probably depends, too, on the size of your company. Sure. One thing we used to do at AIM, when we had these roundtables every month, people would get together. That would be the type of question you'd pose to a person sitting next to you and saying, hey, we're thinking about getting a new system. What do you have? And they'll say, well, we have a great experience with this, or don't even go near them. They're terrible, or whoever. And that's a good exchange of information. But it's it's really based on that um, sort of networking understanding well, then somebody else say, this is, you know, our demands. This is what we wanted. The system did or didn't work out, and here's why. But that's where you get a good flavor from somebody else, what exactly, you know, is the, good, is the system. One other thing I wanted to add about Massachusetts law on personnel records. So if you, something goes into a personnel file and you don't like it, under state law, you have the right to substitute your own version of that event. And that has to be retained in the file. Substitute as in replace? Well, I'm not substitute, supplement. Supplement, okay. So if there's something in the file, I then say, I don't like that version. And so I offer my own version of what happened. Both of them have to be retained in the file. It was actually a recent court case. 
Go ahead, Kyle. So, Tom, an example of that would be if I wrote your performance evaluation and you didn't agree with my my summary of what your performance was, you could write your own addendum, if you will, and add that into your file. So if somebody was looking at it later, they'd have both my version and your version in there. Exactly. Uh, has that caused any uh, legal uh, cases of note? This oh. past winter, probably the first case in 20 years there was any significance. This this guy put a um, was written up for performance. He didn't agree with the management's what he did. He put in his own version of that, uh, saying that it wasn't due to the same reason the company said. He actually got fired the same day he put that information in the file. He sued, claiming that he had the right to put that information in there and that they were denying him his um, legal protections by doing by firing him, and he won. And that might be viewed as retaliation, right? Right. That Absolutely. the company disagreed Absolutely. with it. Yeah. You know, legal wow. protection under the law, you can do it. I mean, the truth is that was created. This law, I think, was created back in a time when, if say, if you go to apply for a new job, someone says, "Sure, you can look at the personnel file." Nobody shows that to a would-be employer nowadays ever. Nobody ever does right. that, and so the best they'll do is say, "You know, you worked here from this date to that date. Your yeah. job was this, and your responsibilities were that, and that might be it." Back in the old days, they used to say, oh, we give people the personnel file. No one does that I'm aware of. Fascinating. Well, uh, I'm going to stop shredding stuff because you've made me nervous. And I think I need to put the brakes on some of my own process. But I am sure glad you guys uh, uh, both joined me here to share your insights on record keeping. Uh, See, listeners, I told you they were going to make paperwork pop. Did I not deliver? Uh, This has been great. Thank you, Kyle Pardo, for uh, making the time. I'm glad you made it. I'm glad you made it to the show today. Excellent. Good to talk to you. Thank you. And Tom Jones, thank you, as always. Thank you, Pete. All right. And thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. As always, you can find links and notes about the show at aimhrsolutions.com. You can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere else your favorite podcasts are served. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you next week right here on Human Solutions, simplifying HR for people who love HR.